Look, you got the money, I got the box. What else is there to talk about? I'll give you another thousand credits to tell me how you got it. <laughs> another thousand? Done. How? You just walk in like you belong. Takes more than that, doesn't it? What, to steal from the Empire? What do you need? A uniform, some dirty hands, and an Imperial toolkit? <laughs> They're so proud of themselves, they don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied, they can't imagine it. Can't imagine what? That someone like me would ever get inside their house, walk their floors, spit in their food, take their gear. The arrogance is remarkable, isn't it? Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 174th and/or enjoying episode of Mandavision, Nargai Tom. And thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. How the heck are you doing today? It is Wednesday, September 21st. It is Andor Day. The first three episodes are now available for streaming, and we have watched and enjoyed. So we're here to discuss those said three episodes, and you know. Doing three episodes at one time is not how we normally operate on this podcast, but we're going to give it a try. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a more of a free-form conversation as opposed to breaking down each individual episode because you know how long I take to do one episode of a show, let alone three. So <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more open, a little bit more free-flow, organic in the conversation. But we're going to talk about a lot of the fun things uh, going on in the show, the mysteries of Eva Andor's past, the mysteries of what's going on now in the storyline, and, and sort of talking about where we are in the Star Wars galaxy at this moment that the show is taking place. Uh, I'm really fascinated by a lot of the things that we saw on the screen, and I'm really excited to spend time in this this period. You know, if you're a listener to the show, you know how fond I am for for, the, for this, this, this time uh, that Ben Kenobi fondly referred to as the Dark Times, and and uh, getting to kind of explore this era before the Rebellion really takes uh, uh, a root in the galaxy. So getting to explore this is going to be a lot, a lot of fun, at least at least for me. Uh, and and listen, I'm going to tell you right now my immediate impression of this show, as is you know the Mandalorian is the Star Wars show I always wanted, but Andor might be the Star Wars show I never knew I needed. 
and these three episodes are a really strong indication that I am going to like this. This is this, this is in a, a this is scratching a certain Star Wars itch that uh, a lot of the newer content doesn't quite get to, and we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on my feelings, and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, and that's okay. Doesn't matter. We're gonna check it out. We're gonna explore it. We're gonna talk about it all coming up. But let's kind of get at get some of the particulars out of the way because you know how much I like I like to give credit to the to the creatives involved in the show. Obviously, this series written by Tony Gilroy. He's the one who helped develop it, bring it to life. Uh, in case you don't know, Tony Gilroy stepped on board uh, with Rogue One and helped do a lot of the rewrites and the, and the reshoots uh, that really helped, in my opinion, make that movie into a home run, a, a just a slam dunk banger of a Star Wars picture. Uh, so so having Gilroy come on board to do this Andor series. Uh, you know, he's talked about it a lot in the press recently, leading into the debut of the shows, um, about how, you know, he's not necessarily a Star Wars guy, but he understood the characters. And that was what sort of drove him and motivated him to be on this series. Uh, and he's he's come out and talked a lot about, you know, maybe from his opinion, that maybe having Star Wars fans making Star Wars movies and shows isn't necessarily the best course of action as far as... Um, Dramatic, you know, for dramatic purposes, that that having what he, what he sort of made, you know, like he was sort of I don't I don't want to I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he made it sound like his detachment from Star Wars allows him to focus on character and story, and and sometimes as a fan you you can get blinded um, by by sort of your desire to to do certain things and to to in your perceptions of what Star Wars is, and then maybe you sacrifice character and 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 plot and story and things like that. It's a very interesting comment. Uh, he, Tony Gilroy is a very interesting, thoughtful man, uh, and and we can explore his kind of comments and thoughts on these things a little bit later. But I do I do think his not being a Star Wars fan lends to a very unique perspective that we've not seen a lot of in the new Disney era of Star Wars. So I I am really excited to explore this era. Uh, I I have talked about uh, how much I enjoy Tony Gilroy's work, uh, particularly Michael Clayton. My goodness, what a, what a film, and and. Yeah, so I, w- I want to give credit to him and for bringing the show to life because, again, I didn't think I needed a Cassian Andor show. And now I kind of think I really, really needed a Cassian Andor show. And it's only three episodes in. Maybe I'll change my mind later. We'll see. <laughs> the first three episodes were directed uh, by Tony by uh, Toby Haynes, and I think he did a real bang-up job. And apparently I think he's got something like uh, – He's directed like six episodes of the show, I think, for the season, uh, and that's that's pretty cool. So you're gonna have a lot of visual uh, consistency between the episodes, with with so many directors staying on board for for many of the episodes. So that that's kind of cool, and I think they're gonna cover, uh, you know, it's, I think it's gonna stay kind of arc based as far as like how the directors go and how that all works out. Our principal cast, I mean, the cast is huge so far, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too deep in the weeds on on de- on this, but obviously Diego Luna is Cassian Andor. Stellan Skarsgård is Luthen Rail. Genevieve O'Reilly is Mon Mothma. And those are kind of our principal characters at this point in the show. Uh, I don't want to do any disservice to the rest of the cast because there's so many wonderful people in these first three episodes. But that's kind of... I, I just want to stay on the, on the principles at the moment. We'll, we'll talk about individual performances as, go, as we need to. Uh, and and, and I, um, do I want to say? I don't know if I want to say. Maybe I'll wait till we get to the other side of the bump. But... Yeah, there's good stuff in this. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into Andor talk. Are you ready? You know what that means. It's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. 
Well, they'd hang me, wouldn't they? Take me out Briggs Road and hang me in the square. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Isn't that where they hung your father? Who are you? What is this? I said I know you. I know all about you. Yes, I want the box, and I'll leave with that if it's all I can get. I came looking for something more, and I think I found it. I'd like you to come with me. How do you know about me? I was hoping for a more relaxed conversation, but you're right, we don't have time. Contrary to what you told me, I doubt that you'll be sticking around. I know you killed two corpus at Molana One. I know they're coming for you. Seems like such a waste to let them have you. Waste of talent. Who are you? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how much time do you have to get out of here? Why would I go anywhere with you? Don't you want to fight these bastards for you? So the day is finally here. Andor has debuted. And I think it's safe to say that, based off of what we've seen in these first three episodes, uh, this might be the most different Star Wars show we've gotten thus far in the Disney era. And I'm I'm delighted by that. I, I am I am so beyond tickled by what I'm seeing on the show, visually, story-wise, structure-wise, uh, and and just sort of t- by it, its tone is is really kind of fascinating me as well because I've said it before. You know, if you're a longtime member of this listening audience, you know I've always wanted sort of a darker. Uh, I, I hesitate to use the word mature, but I, w- I wanted a Star Wars show that showed us sort of the underbelly of the Star Wars galaxy. Spend, have us spend some time in the muck, in the dirt, uh, you know, kind of like where the boots are on the ground kind of story. And Andor seems to be giving us that right off the bat. I mean, we couldn't be more in the muck <laughs> if, we, if we tried. It's, it's, it's a really wonderful perspective on the Star Wars galaxy because it's, it's, you know, the original trilogy always had like that sort of uh, used look to it. And then we go to the prequels and everything's shiny and new. And we're definitely transitioning to that sort of dirty, grimy, used look of Star Wars in this show. So I think there's a lot of visual consistency as we sort of progress through the, the fall of the Republic to the rise of the Empire. Uh, and, and visually, too, what I like, especially when we're on the planet Ferrix, uh, 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 I like the sort of tactile feel of that world. It's 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 brick and stone, and it just it just has like a real vibe to it. Like it, it almost feels alive in a sense. Like it's it's sort of repressed and smushed down, but it's real. It has a feel to it. Like like it looks like someplace you could actually go. Yes, the trappings of Star Wars exist in it, but there's a visual style there that is like familiar, and I think that's a really key element to the show to make you sort of connect to these characters in, in, in a way, you have to be able to, to understand them. And by putting it in, in a place that you can kind of see existing somewhere, uh, I think that's something uh, unique for a show so far. And I like that. I like that we also get to the chase, or to the point really quickly. I mean, we start off with Cassian on another planet. You know, he's... he's Cassian at this point is very interesting to me. I, I sort of like that he's somewhat of a grifter, somewhat of a scammer, um, you know, he's a thief. He is, um, you know, a little rougher around the edges than when we saw him in Rogue One, as we're getting to know him. Uh, but 
he's sort of full of his raw potential, and that's what Luthen sees when they finally meet in the third episode. Uh, but he's not—he's not the agent that we we gotten to know in Rogue One. Again, he's rough around the edges. He's—he doesn't have all the skills needed to be a, a top spy, a top agent of espionage uh, for for a burgeoning rebellion. But the potential's there. You, you sort of see how he can develop into that from this role that he's taken on for himself. And he's a, a, he's off-planet of, of his own planet in this corporate sector world. And he seems to be looking for links to his past. He, he claims he's looking for a sister. Is that really what's going on? We're not quite clear yet because as we find out later in the episode, uh, uh, Andor, Andor is a Canari, but he is taken from Canari when he's very young, rough, probably roughly, you know, I don't know. We know he said he's been in this fight since he was six years old, but he looks—he appears to be much older than that when we uh, meet up with him on his planet, where he's on Canari, where he's living a very sort of Lord of the Lord of the Flies kind of lifestyle. He's there with a bunch of other kids. There's no adults around. We find out later on there's been a, some sort of mining accident, and the Republic has abandoned Canari, and that's an important element to this too. Uh, he's on Canari. When it's it's still the Clone Wars, you know, it's still uh, the Republic in place as as the galactic power, and there's we see a Separatist present, a Separatist ship crashing onto the planet, and we have to wonder what's that Separatist ship all about, and it, it you know do those those uh, people on board, you know we don't can't quite, can't quite call them soldiers, but I'm, I I sort of believe they're them to be scientists, do they die? They get like this sort of the yellowy, jaundicey looking thing going on. Are they developing a bioweapon to use against the Republic? That's a very good possibility. Or did they just die of some kind of weird off gassing from their crash ship? I'm going bioweapon. I think there's more to that story than, than we're getting so far, and we'll probably continue to track that progress as we sort of flash back to Andor and Pret in, in the current time, which is five years before the Battle of Yavin. And then, you know, young Cassian, now just removed from, from Canari, rescued by. By Marva Andor, and and her partner who seemed to be into salvage, and the droid B two emo. Hey now, I love that droid. I'm a big fan of that droid already. Looks like a bit of a, he's sort of reminiscent of an astromech, but he's kind of got like a different whole thing going on. It's very helpful. He can speak. That's a lot of fun too. I'm enjoying that aspect of the show. But yeah, we get to the crux of things really quickly in this ep- in, in this first episode. Andor investigating, looking for possible links to his past. Uh, ends up killing these these corpo security guys who are trying to shake him down, and you know it, it's one of those situations that it, Andor I don't think meant to kill anybody. It escalated, and then he's like, you know what? Well, I got to kill this guy now too, uh, and he knows he's in trouble, so he goes back to to Phoenix, and 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 he has to get off planet. He knows he has to get away because the corpos are coming for him. Though he, I think he thinks he has more time, <laughs> but you know there's a there's a whole what's the word I want to go with? There's a whole community of people that Andor has rubbed the wrong way. Cassian has, has again, as sort of this, this griftery character, he's borrowed money, he's schemed people, he's he's got a lot of uh, uh, fingers in, in many, many different pies. And so he doesn't, he has a lot of friends, but he's got a few people that he's, he's kind of chaffed a little bit too, including this one fella who's, who seems to take his relationship um, with his friend, very, very seriously, and rats him out eventually. And, you know, again, it, it's all sort of simple storytelling stuff, but you understand everybody's actions. You don't agree with them, but you sort of understand them. You know, even even the corporate security guys, uh, 
do you understand where that guy's coming from, even though he's his, his, it's misguided? Um, because let's talk about the corporate security element of this. I sort of dig that that we're not even on the empire's radar just yet. We're on a, on a world that's known for scavenging, that's doing salvage work. And it's anything that goes on there is sort of beneath the empire's notice, but they have this corporate security in place to kind of keep things in check. At, and, and I think one of the, one of the corporate security guys at one point refers to themselves as uh, the tip of the knife for the empire. And, Talk about like an overinflated sense of self-importance when you when when that, that's sort of like your perspective on how you are. It's sort of an interesting contrast between the the senior chief who we first meet, who wants the agent to cover it all up, to sweep it under the rug. He's like, hey, these guys were, you know, someplace they shouldn't have been doing things they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, it's all against the regulations. It's off the books. They were clearly bad dudes. Let's just kind of like brush this under the rug. We'll tell the empire that things are okay. But the the agent in charge has no time for that. He wants he believes in duty and justice, so he gets more people who think the same way, and they're gonna track down Andor. And luckily, Andor's ruffled enough feathers on his own planet that he has alienated people so, so enough people to that one of them will rat him out in 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 sort of a, a jealous sort of rage, I suppose, uh, a, a sort of ratting out of, based on jealousy. And the green-eyed monster rears its head. <laughs> Again, I don't. I don't necessarily want to go into like any sort of like deep-seated character analysis right now. Uh, I'm just trying to set the table for the world that we got here, because again, it's just it's just it's this sort of tone that I think really elevates it to a different place than what we've seen from Star Wars shows. What I also really like, because we get to the chase before, because we know Andor's done something bad in the first five minutes of the first episode. The first three episodes do a wonderful job of building the tension in those three episodes as Corpo's security kind of tightens the noose around him to when they finally get on planet and they're pursuing him through the town. Uh, the town, not fond of corporate security at all, and the way they sort of pa- are, are passively rebelling, the signaling, the chanting, the, the, the engagement to warn one of their own that corporate security is looking for them. All these touches in in the show, I think, are really, really well done and well executed, and show sort of a uh, a, a sort of real disparity between the haves and the have-nots in the Star Wars galaxy. I think that's a really important element of the show, uh, as Luthen tells Cassian. You know, this this isn't even the fight. This is this is this is child's play compared to what I need you for, and we haven't gotten to the to to what. Their conversation is going to turn into, you know, we've seen snippets of it in the trailers, but I'm really intrigued by the idea of of, of Cassian's world now expanding. Right, like we he goes from from this this world of salvage to to you know manipulating small time scams and 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 uh, dealing with corporate security to now now being in the in the sort of sights of the empire. Right. You know, he's sort of been beneath their notice before. That's how he's been able to get on board ships and take these vital components that his friend Bix has been able to sell for him. And now he got the attention of Luthen because he's been able he's been so good at procuring these parts. Now Luthen wants to bring him on board in a much bigger scale to actually get into the fight in a very real way. It's it's very, very interesting. And I don't think we've seen 
all all the components that 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 have that are helped shape him. I think there's still a lot to get into with his past. I think there's a lot to get into with who he's searching for uh, when he's off planet to begin the episode. Is it really a sister? Is there or is it some other sort of familial connection or just another Canari trying to find another member of of his people to maybe connect with in some way? I'm very intrigued by by what this all represents and how it all looks in the larger scheme of things. I think it was a really smart decision. A, to release these three episodes, but to have these three episodes start with a smaller focus, to kind of stay on this, 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 these small worlds, this small, small uh, just taste of the galaxy, so that um, as the show expands its scope, we, we're witnessing that through Andor's expanded scope, uh, the way he's going to sort of be immersed in this new, bigger spot, uh, view of the galaxy, if you will. Excuse me for my, my stumble there. We have not seen Mon Mothma yet on the show. That's an element that I think is vital to understanding a who Luthen is, and again that that bigger scope of the galaxy. We're we're narrowly we're on a focused tight. Excuse me. We are <laughs> we are tightly focused right now on a small section of the galaxy, and we are we are as episode three ends with Luthen and Cassian escaping. That scope is going to widen as as Cassian's perspective widens. And I'm really into that idea. I think there's going to be a lot of fun there. You know, one of the elements I wanted to explore a little bit on this conversation with everybody is that, again, it, it, this is a very different feeling Star Wars show than many that have come before it thus far. And I think part of that is because, again, that, that scope is so small and very narrowly focused. But again, we're seeing part of the galaxy that is is beneath the Empire's notice at this point. We just watched three episodes of a Star Wars show with no stormtroopers. <laughs> there's there's no Imperial presence thus far. You know, we're dealing with this corporate security that's been employed to kind of monitor the things that the Empire's like, whatever. We're, you know, again, going back to what, what Andor said about, like, their arrogance and their, their sort of sense of self-satisfaction. They don't even need to be worried about, like, these salvage planets. You know, they're not whatever. As long as they're doing their job and staying in line, that's all that matters. They'll, they'll show up if there's some sort of rebellion, but they're going to rely on these corporate security schmucks to take care of things for them. I think that's a very interesting choice to to sort of show, again, that arrogance of the Empire, that they will employ these corporate security forces instead. And again, this this, uh, this I think his name was Cyril, uh, the, the Corsac agent, not, not Corsac, that's, that's Corellian security. They call him Corpos on this. But the corporate security guy uh, who wants to make a much bigger deal out of the death of, of two... Um, corrupt oper- two corrupt agents of, of his own own force. Uh, again, sort of like the sense of grandioseness that he believes his his in, in, the, again taking his job just way too seriously. I guess is the bottom line here. Thinking he's way more important that his job is way more important than it actually is in the grand scheme of the galaxy. Uh, and to see the look on his face at the end of episode three. When, when Andor and Luthen have just completely pulled the rug out from underneath him and, and completely turned the tables on them. And it wasn't just Andor alone or, or Andor and Luthen by themselves. The, the entire town, the entire uh, community that, that Andor exists in on Phoenix is, is against them. I'm sorry, Ferex is against them completely. 
when I wanted to mention uh, Fiona Shaw's performance in the show. I love Fiona Shaw. She's one of my favorite performers. Uh, and and we knew she was going to be in the show. We didn't know the context with it, but her being uh, Andor Marva, uh, Cassian's adoptive mother, I think is a wonderful touch. I, I love seeing how she and her partner sort of liberate him from Canari at the beginning of the of of uh, it's just during the course of episode three. Uh, and again, I think there's there's a lot more to explore with with Cassian's origins on Canari. You know, we know. We talked about it already, the a, a mining accident. But there's more to it than that because Luthen mentions uh, how Andor's father is hung in a very public way on Canari. And so that needs to be explored. At least that's – that is what I assume he's talking about. That it's, it's going back to his father, his birth father on Canari. Now, could it be an adoptive father, Marva's partner perhaps? Uh, we'll see. We're, you know, again, there's a lot more information, a lot more mystery to kind of unravel about Cassian, who he is and where he came from and sort of his origins. Uh, but I'm so intrigued by this show. There's so much a mystery to it. You know, it's, it's not surface. There, there's a lot of depth here. There's, there's a lot of nuance in the story. And we're going to get to explore these things. We're going to get to understand where Luthen came from, like what shaped him into this person who's now running sort of espionage against the empire who's there uh, saboteuring them who is there recruiting for you know an an upcoming rebellion uh like what 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 happened what what gave him this purpose what gave him this cause to be again sort of more overt in his actions than we've seen thus far from characters like like Bail Organa and Mon Mothma who still live their who still do their senatorial duties while sort of trying to figure out other ways to subvert imperial influence. This guy, uh, Luthen Rael, seems much more interested in, in an overt strategy, which is why I think that'll come, why he will draw himself uh, into a relationship with our good friend, played by the great actor Forrest Whitaker. I am, of course, referring to Saw Gerrera. So that's going to be really, really exciting to see those two people come together. And again, always connecting with Saw Gerrera. Saw Gerrera is such an interesting, fascinating figure uh, in, in this period of Star Wars in particular that I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what they do here, how that relationship forges. And, you know, let, let's see what Saw's been up to in this time. We know he's fighting a guerrilla-style war, warfare against the Empire, but uh, I'm very curious to see how that's progressing, you know? Do, will we see... Perhaps in the shadows, a young Jyn Erso, maybe? Perhaps? Again, we've, we've also speculated that, hey, will we get K2SO's origin in this series at some point? You know, the reprogramming of an Imperial security droid. That'd be a lot of fun, too. Because, again, it's going to start next week. The galaxy's going to expand for Cassian, and we're going to get to see a lot more uh, uh, galaxy-trotting adventures as Cassian becomes, I presume, <laughs> uh, Luthen Rael's top... You know, agent his uh, you know trains him in the in the in spycraft in espionage and again this is going to be a really exciting show to explore the underbelly of Star Wars and, and kind of get into the muck and I'm really intrigued by what we've seen thus far with the show. Another reason why I like that they dropped all three of these episodes is because as as I mentioned earlier, the building of the dramatic tension I think is really vital to these first three episodes because you know we are. We're being thrown into a world that's new to us. Everything's new to us in it. It's Star Wars, so there's familiar trappings, trappings, but 
it's very different Star Wars than what we've seen previously. So we're we're kind of being thrown in at the deep end, and and we are getting our answers over the course, or at least not all the answers, but at least enough to to start filling in in the blanks, start filling in some gaps on who these people are, their relations to each other, how this world sort of works and operates and exists within itself. Uh, so getting these three episodes all together was delightful. And again, as I mentioned earlier, the way the three episodes build the tension is really well executed, really well felt, so that when you're watching all three, if you watch all three back to back to back, again, you really feel it. Like if it's just you, you got your 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 fists squeezed, the tension so tight, and and when you get to the action, when you get to the to the pursuit of the corpos on on Rael and and Cassian when you're in that warehouse with those those big huge metal casings dropping down from the ceiling and blaster bolts skewing all around a really great sequence a lot a lot of fun in that one and then them moving to the town the 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 uh, the people of Phoenix uh, engaging in their own battle against the corporate people the corporate corporate security in their own right you know tying the uh, the agent's ships, the corpo ship, to to scrap, and then eventually crashing that, uh, and the the way that the explosion, the decoy ship that explodes and takes out the corpo, so that Luthen and and Cassian can make their escape on the speeder bike, it's all so wonderfully executed and performed, and I loved it. The scale of the show is really really nicely done. Again, it has a very tactile, real feel to it. You know the show was filmed in London. They were on a lot of sound stages. They were building environments. They did some location shooting as well, which I think comes in really, really handy on a show like this. You know, a lot of people have been very critical on recent Star Wars shows of, of the volume. You know, this technology that at first wowed so many people, uh, now some people are pushing back against it and, and saying it's, it's, it's too phony, it's too fake. You can kind of see the limitations of the technology. On this show... Uh, the technology is used sparingly, and I think in a, in a very good way. It is it, again, this world feels real so far. There's there's not been a lot of of, of we'll just say computer effects at the, for 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 lack of a, a better word to, to to sort of describe the environment in which we are in. It it feels like a place that you could go to, even in a even in a galaxy far far away. It has. I'm going to use the word tactile again. It just has a feel to it that is inescapable, and I love that. I think that makes a Star Wars... I think that is an element of Star Wars that is often overlooked. It's sort of the feel of the environments that you're in. So to have that feeling restored in this show, for me, is a real big positive. I really like what they've done with the production design, the production values on the show, and I like the way it's being shot. You know, it, it has... It's not quite full bore cinematic, but I bet this show would look great on a big screen. You know, I really do. I think it would. And I think that's going to only going to improve as the show's scope widens. I, I'm really intrigued to see how this progresses, if there'll be any sort of uh, visual changes as we move from the different directors in the series too, who will, who will cover us in different elements of the story, different progressions. And again, the, the, you know, we're not just going to be – if I, we, woo, we are not just going to be in the five-year period for Cassian. We're, we're, there's a lot of time jumps going on here. We're going to spend time with – I think we're spending more time with Cassian as a kid. We're going to spend t- more time with him maybe even earlier in his career. We're going to spend time with Luthen in his past and, and, and trying to figure out what 
motivated him to be this spy master, you know, for 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 a a, a burgeoning rebellion. And of course, there's the, there's the mystery if if Cassian was being truthful that he's looking for his sister. You know, that's obviously a mystery that we have to get to as well. So I'm really uh, intrigued by the show. I'm really encouraged by what I've seen thus far, and I think it's gonna be pretty darn epic. Uh, you know, we know we're gonna like what 13 episodes of this thing, or 13 more episodes of this thing. It's 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 a ton of Star Wars show. We're gonna be busy all the way through November watching this show, and I'm really excited for it. I I think the 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 run times thus far are really compelling. They're digestible, but a lot going on. It's it's dense storytelling. There's a lot of layers there. I've only watched. I okay, listen. I'm gonna confess. Normally, I like to watch the show at least twice before I do the recording. Um, my schedule's a tad prohibitive, so I've only watched Andor once, each episode once, before I had to talk about it. But I'm really, really, really looking forward to diving back into those episodes um, in the in the coming days, and 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 really sinking my teeth into that world some more, and trying to find more subtle nuance with things. And again, what, another element that I like about this show that I want to put out there is I think this show is actually really, really approachable for new audience members. I don't think you need to have seen Rogue One to watch this show. I don't think you need to have seen a single Star Wars story, a single Star Wars movie, a single Star Wars book to watch this show. It is insanely approachable. It is, it, you know, you don't have to know about Jedi and Sith and the, the, the prequel era stuff. You don't have to know about Luke and Leia. You don't have to know about any of the stuff. You can sit there and watch this show and become a Star Wars fan. This might be a show that you could, you could sit down somebody who's told you before they're not into Star Wars, and you might be able to change their mind with this show. I think it has a very nice, approachable factor to it. It's not simplistic in any, in any way. Do not misunderstand. But it's just open. You don't have to know about all these other elements of the Star Wars galaxy. You can just sit here and watch the story of Cassian Andor and the Burgeoning Rebellion. And, you know, I may retract this, this statement later in the series. Like, maybe they're going to go too far. I'm like, all right, they, they, all right. <laughs> they went too far. I'll admit it. But I think thus far, this is the show that you might be able to get that friend of yours who's pushed back against Star Wars for, you know, 20 years or whatever. And you might be able to sway them. This might be that show. Uh, Diego Luna's fantastic in it. I really enjoyed his performance. I really, en I always enjoy Stellan Skarsgård. Fiona Shaw's fantastic. Everyone in the show has been good so far. They're 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 interesting. They're compelling. Uh, even when you even when you know they're the bad guys and they're in the wrong, you understand their motivations. It's not just evil for the sake of evil's sake. You know, it, it's it's you. Again, you just know where they're coming from. That is really important stuff as far as your, your, your storytelling building blocks. You have to understand people's motives for doing the things they're doing and why they're doing those things. Good guy, bad guy, in between. That's just the building blocks. Tony Gilroy gets that. Love it. Love it so much. I don't know what else to say because I don't want to get into scene by scene, specific by specifics of these three episodes because there's a lot. There's a lot we could talk about, but... Going back to that approachable aspect, one other element that I really actually enjoyed in this episode is I didn't spend the episode uh, 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 mesmerized by Easter eggs and things I saw in the background. And, uh, you know, having to be like, oh, look, they're referencing blah, blah, blah. 
you know, I didn't have to do that. I'm just watching Star Wars to watch Star Wars. You know, we get to get we're we're on that Morlana One planet, and you're in like this sort of high end red light district, and it's just a visual, an interesting visual style. There's nothing else really going on to pull your eye away. You know, you, there there's no gonk droid in the background. There's no a T sixteen Skyhopper flying overhead. I sort of enjoyed that element to it you know maybe there'll be more easter eggs as we as we get more into like the imperial side of the story maybe as we get into more of mon mothma's stuff but again i sort of like this more approachable version of star wars it just lends itself uh to people who aren't already so immersed in the in the in the in the galaxy if you will uh and and something about that i found to be really really refreshing that i didn't have to to take copious amount of notes on all the different things I saw in the background. Again, there's tons of cool looking aliens. You, again, you really feel like you're in the Star Wars galaxy because it's, it's full of diverse alien species and um, visually they're all interesting, but you know, you're not like, Oh, that's the alien who we saw that species in the cantina. No, no, no. Like there's a lot of new things going on in this show visually with new species, some familiar species, just, but it's just it just feels Star Wars. That feel is there, but it's new and exciting. And I think that's really compelling to me. I think that part of it is really compelling to me, that you can just walk in and, and just sit down and watch the show. And you're not, gonna, you're not waiting for some deep-cut reference to, to something that happened in the old Expanded Universe. Now, don't get me wrong. You know I love the Expanded Universe. But thus far, at least, in these first three episodes, you can just walk into the door. And watch this show. And I'm here for that. It's a great element. It's a great way to bring new people into Star Wars. And again, that maybe that's that's what Tony Gilroy was talking about in, in his interview. I believe it was his Rolling Stone interview about not not being so reverential about about Star Wars. Is is that so you you know, if you if you have too much reverence for it, you're doing too much fan servicey stuff for it, and that distracts from plot and that distracts from character and story, and it also distracts from the fact that, hey, Maybe you should make a new Star Wars fan with these with these shows too. You know, it's not just all about uh, uh, luring them in with a baby Yoda. Don't get me wrong; I'm not insulting baby Yoda. You know, I love, I love Grogu. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. This is just a different taste of of, a, of another wonderful, delicious Star Wars ice cream. It's just another flavor, and I like this flavor a lot too. You know, I like the chocolate and peanut butter I get from from other Star Wars. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of liking this uh, Rocky Road version over here too that I'm getting, and uh, I think Cassian is going to be on a Rocky Road himself as he starts to learn how to become the a, a, a agent of the rebellion, a spy, a saboteur, an espionage agent, a a, a conductor of mayhem and anarchy, and then sowing the seeds of the empire's fall. I am here for all of it, and we will be here for it every single week on the Mandovision podcast because that is what we are now hyper-focused on moving forward through Thanksgiving because that's when the last episode is dropping. Now, I will... uh, uh, We'll talk about that later. But, yeah, every single Wednesday for the foreseeable future, we will have these episodes out uh, hopefully midday and we'll be able to provide a lot of information and talking points and things, uh, hopefully things for you to think about. Like maybe, maybe, maybe... 
I don't want to speculate. <laughs> Sorry, I know. I, I, I made it feel like I was going to drop some big revelation on y'all. But no, no, no. Just, I just want to bring things to, to your attention. Maybe you saw that. Maybe you didn't. Things for us to talk about later on. That's the, that's the element that I want to get into uh, with, with the show, with the conversation. I hope you're enjoying this show as much as I am. I look forward to talking about this show every single Wednesday with you fine, fine people. Uh, I want to give you all another a, a reminder. Please follow us on social media. We're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If you want to give us a sweet, sweet, sweet five-star review, that is a great way to help support the show. They really help small independent shows like us stand out, not get lost in the shuffle of the 500 billion Star Wars podcasts that exists. But, hey, I know a lot of you listen to all 500 billion of those podcasts, and we thank you for the support. Don't worry about it. Uh, if you are interested in keeping the show afloat financially, that is also a possibility, too. You can become an official member of Buckethead Nation. You can become a Mandovision maniac at patreon.com forward slash Mandovision. You can join the maniacs and gain access to sweet, sweet, sweet bonus content. And, uh, oh, new show. New bonus show dropped for the Patreons yesterday. Uh, it's available now. Go check it out. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman Abejo, Jeff Nail. Jeff is the co-host on The Ring in the Air, a great music podcast that I recommend. Check it out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles, the Squid Master General, Mr. Brian Broussard, the New Jersey Devil, Mark Wegemer, our very own Joker and Harley Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pry Brewing Company in Baltimore, Maryland, the Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops, the Silent Assassin, he who should not be named, and Syndicate Ram, co-host of Come On, is still good, and a frequent, well, a, a regular contributor to the Mandivision podcast on occasion. Thank you all so much for being supporters of the show. Thank you for checking out our, uh, uh, um, I don't know, I, 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 I can't call it like analysis. I, I really did not analyze anything in these first three episodes. But I hope you enjoyed our discussion about it. I hope I gave you guys some entertaining content, things to think about. And, and send me what you noticed about the show. Tell me what you liked about the show that maybe I skipped out on, maybe I missed. So reach out on the socials, and I look forward to seeing and talking to all of you very, very soon. Let's go ahead, wrap up. We'll be back next Wednesday for episode four of Andor. This podcast, it can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. I find that answer vague and unconvincing.